We are talking about faith. Series on faith. How do you get to the place where you can actually experience miracles in your life? Okay? We've been reading our, our text that we've been building around. has been Hebrews, the 11th chapter. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because he who comes to God has to believe that he is and that he's the rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. This is about learning how to seek after God, how to experience God, so you can actually see God show up in your life and change things around. Okay, we're not talking about faith and things you have no control over. We're talking about faith where God actually comes in and it actually changes your circumstance and situation. Now, we've been reading in the scriptures some examples of people who have had or experienced great miracles. And one of the uh, biggest things that you notice about these people is that they are oftentimes put in a situation where they need a miracle. Miracles didn't happen unless they needed to happen. And we've been trying to encourage you. When things go bad in your life, don't lose heart. Don't give up. Don't panic. Don't freak. This is an opportunity for a miracle. And we read last week about Paul and Silas, how they were in prison and all these things went wrong, but yet how God showed up. Most of the time in the Bible, when something miraculous happens, it's because something really rotten happened in the first place. So don't panic and freak. Well, today we want to take a look at a miracle uh, that revolved around the life of a young man named David and this big gigantor guy named Goliath. Pretty uh, famous account in the Bible. And we want to read it. A lot of people read about the Bible and they hear about the Bible. They don't actually take the time to read the Bible. We want you to read the Bible for yourself so you can get an idea. Because you'll often see things that you'll go, oh, I didn't know that. That's because you don't read the Bible. <laughs> you read about the Bible, okay? So let's take a look at the scriptures itself. Here's the account. Now, Philist now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled in Soka in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes Damim between Soka and Ezekiel. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the Valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill, the Israelites another with a valley between them. It was a very brave heart looking kind of scene. These armies are lined up facing off to each other. Well, a champion named Goliath, a big yo mama gigantor of a man, came out of the Philistine camp. He was six cubits in a span, very tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head. Bronze. We're not talking aluminum here. Try to pick up anything bronze. Ugh. His whole helmet is bronze. Okay. Uh, he wore a coat of scale armor of bronze, weighing 5,000 shekels. This thing's got to weigh a ton. His legs, he wore bronze greaves and had a bronze javelin slung on his back. His spear shaft was like that of a weaver's rod, very long, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels alone. And it says his shield bearer went ahead of him. <laughs> That's got to be a really lousy job. I mean, if I am a shield bearer, I want to bear the shield for the little guys. You know, because it's not so heavy. Somebody's got to carry all this junk. <laughs> Those poor shield guys. <laughs> so, Goliath gets out there and he shouts at the Israeli ranks. Why? Why? He reasons with him. Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not the servants of Saul? Saul was the king of Israel. He said, look, let's do this. No sense in everyone getting all upset. You choose a man and have him come down to me. 
if he's able to fight and kill me, then we surrender and we will become your servants. Uh, but uh, if uh, I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Of course, this is bad news. Easy for him to say because he's huge. He's this massive gigantor of a man. Now, this is back 4,000 years ago. Today's one thing, you know, a little skinny guy with a steady trigger finger can take out any, anybody. But they didn't have that back then. It was all mano y mano, man. Big guy against other big guy and brute force would win. So they're looking at this guy like, who's gonna win this deal? They knew that it was a losing situation. And the Philistines said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man, come on, be a man. Don't be a bunch of girly men. Let's fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Why? Whoa. I remember this is a standoff here. They're lining up on one side. Philistines lining up the other. Why doesn't anybody attack? Well, apparently the Israelites didn't feel they had the numbers to ensure prevailing. The Philistines, despite having gigantor, uh, didn't feel they had the ability to overcome. So everybody was kind of in a standoff. So we're kind of stuck. Well, verse 12. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah. You'll remember Bethlehem. That's where Jesus was born. The reason Jesus was born there, if you remember, Joseph was of the line of David, and everybody had to go back to their land of their fathers to get counted for the census, and he went back to Bethlehem. It's because it's the city of David. So Jesse, uh, this guy who lives in Bethlehem, has eight sons. Uh, David's one of those sons. And in Saul's time, he was very old. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to war. The firstborn, Eliab, the second, Abinadab, and the third, Shammah. David was the youngest. Well, the three oldest brothers followed Saul. But David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. So David is basically an errand boy at this point. He runs things back and forth from the front lines to dad to kind of check on the brothers and that sort of, that sort of thing. Um, now it says, the next verse, For 40 days the Philistine came forward every morning and every evening and took his stand. Now stop and think, I still don't understand this. Every day, the Israeli army would line up, and the Philistine army would line up, and they'd yell at each other, Aah! and then they'd break for lunch, and it was a wrap. You know, they'd go, well, <laughs> they kept it for 40 days. It's like, what the heck's going on here? So that every day, it's the same routine. Everybody lines up, everybody yells, and everybody takes a nap, and then we get the next day to do the same thing over for 40 days. You talk about a standoff. Now, Jesse pops, says to his son David, Hey, David, take this ephah of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and, and hurry to the camp. And then in an attempt to suck up to their commander, he says, And take along these ten cheeses and give it to the commander of their unit. And see how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. There I was Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. So early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of another shepherd and loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. Well, he reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry, ah! which is apparently that's all they did. Israel 
And the Philistines were drawing up their lines, facing each other for the same ridiculous dance that they've been doing for 40 days. Well, David hears all this, and he leaves the things with the keeper of the supplies, and he runs to the battle lines because they want to see what's going on. And he checks with his brothers, see how they're doing. And as he's talking with them, Goliath, Mr. Gigantor, the Philistine champion of Gath, steps out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance on day 41. And David heard it. Now, when all the Israelites saw the man, they fled from him in great fear. Now, I'm not exactly sure how that plays out. Clearly, not all the lions were running. If they would, that would have triggered the Philistines to pursue. That's what they were waiting for. So I don't know if it was just a, a front group when he'd come out and they'd pull back to the regular lions. Probably what they're talking about here. Now, the Israelites, they've been doing this for 40 days, yelling at each other, doing nothing. And they were talking. And they said, do you see how this man keeps coming out? That big, gigantic guy? He comes out to defy Israel. And they start talking about the incentives that the king gave to the troops. Because the king was trying to incentivize someone to go out and face this big guy. And they said, uh, da, 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 da. Or I just lost my place. Verse, oh, still on verse 25. He says, he comes out to defy Israel. The king will give him great wealth to the man who kills him. So to money. And he'll also give him his daughter in marriage. And then he gets the babe, and then he will exempt his family from taxes. Hallelujah. <laughs> All right? So, so this is the incentive. You get the money, you get the hot chick, and no taxes. This is a beautiful deal going on. This is the incentive. Now, now check this. That's the part of the Bi story that most people never hear, because most people don't read the Bible. They read about the Bible. Uh, David asks, he hears this. And David asks the men standing near him, uh, run this by me again. What will happen for the man who kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Because he's just incensed about this guy. He says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And they repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. He gets all the money. He gets the hot chick and no taxes. Well, now, when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with him, he gets really ticked off because he's a brother. And this is what brothers do. They yell at each other. And he says, um, why'd you come down here, you little twit? And who did you leave all in the wilderness with? I know how conceited you are, you little snot. Your heart's wicked. You just came down here to watch the battle. And then David answered, as brothers have answered for thousands of years, what did I do? Can I even talk? <laughs> then he turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. What matter would that be? Now run this by me one more time. What happens to the guy who kills the big guy? He gets all the money. He gets the hot chick and no taxes. <laughs> He's highly motivated at this point. Are you hearing me? Which is an interesting thing. Now, at the end of the day, what really drove David clearly was a passion for God. He felt that his nation was being insulted and that his God was being insulted. But yet, the money, the chick, and the taxing wasn't hurting. And which is a, an interesting point, especially for you young people. Listen to me. We serve God not for what we can get out of God. But make no mistake, if you will put God first in your life, I promise you, 
your life will be way ahead than if you don't. You will be more blessed. You will be more successful. God will bless you financially. He might even help you find a cute girl. <laughs> Hallelujah. You're like, man, I'm telling you, there's benefits to serving God. Which only makes sense. So, the man told him before, okay, that's what you get. Now, what David said, verse 31, was overheard and reported to Saul. They all started talking about this young guy who's all fired up. <laughs> and wanting to know what he's going to get. Because he plans to go kill him. Which might be a side thing. You know, he's the, I'm going to go kill this guy anyway. I just want to see what else I'm getting. So David, Saul sends for this guy. Well, David says to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant, talking about himself, I will go down and I'll fight him. So number one, unlike most situations where the need for a miracle is forced on somebody, and that's almost all, always, 90% of the time in the Bible, when someone has a miracle, as I said, is because they needed one. They're stuck in a situation. I promise you, all the miracles that happened in my life is because I was stuck in a situation. I needed a miracle. That's one thing. But David, unlike most people who wait for a miracle to be forced upon them, David went looking for a situation that needed a miracle. This boy had some serious cajones. <laughs> of this, there was little doubt. David didn't just have faith. He had aggressive faith. Well, Saul looks at him and says, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man. He's been a warrior from his youth. Now check this out. No one really knows exactly how old David is at this point. I've heard say, you know, he's probably only 17 or something like that. I doubt he's that old. 4,000 years ago, you're a 17-year-old strapping young man. You in the army. You know what I'm saying? You have to remember, he's young enough that they would look at him and go, ah, I go home. Yeah, I go home. So who knows how old he is? 14, 15, 16? We don't know. But Saul looks at him and goes, <laughs> I don't think so. But David said to Saul, listen, I was once keeping my father's sheep and a lion, and another time a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock. And I went after it struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. Seriously? If I'm watching, and a lion comes and takes the sheep, I'm saying, would you like fries with that? Because I, I, I ain't going after that. So would you like a little mint jelly with your lamb? I mean, come on. This kid, he's a scrappy punk of a dude, man. He sees a lion, he goes after the lion. And he grabs the lion and bucks him on the head. And the lion drops the lamb and turns around and looks at him. And then he says, it turned on me and I seized it by his hair and I struck it and I killed it. This happened twice, once with a lion, once with a bear. He said, I've killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of this lion and of the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Now Saul has got to minimum be impressed with this guy's tenacity. But I want you to see something. Point number two. 
David was confident he could do something great because he had already experienced God in small ways. Now, that's a key point. A lot of times we don't take our faith seriously. A lot of you guys, you know, you kind of slide in. You don't really take this all that seriously. And then all of a sudden, oh, I need a miracle. I, and I'll be honest with you. And we will help you and we'll teach you and you can still get a miracle. You might really struggle with this because it's the first time in your life you've ever tried to trust God for anything. That's tough. The people I have always felt the sorriest for in my life over these last 40 some years serving Jesus is the people who've never had to trust God for anything and now they find out their wife has breast cancer or now they find out they're losing their job and everything they had saved is gone in the stock market. Right? Not these are the people I always feel the sorriest for. Not because they're having a hard time. I've had hard times. We've experienced tough circumstances. But for them it's the first time the first time they're trusting God for anything. That's tough. Let me warn you as your pastor. Don't just be complacent in your life. Experience God. You young people start experiencing God. Mom and dad maybe you haven't experienced much of anything in your life. At this point get with the program. I don't care if you're just trusting God to find your sunglasses. God was like I already got help me find my sunglasses. I mean start somewhere. Because when you've seen God help you find your sunglasses and all of a sudden this happens and that happens and there are little things but it starts building your faith and your confidence and you get a sense God is with me. God hears me when I pray. I can trust God to pull me out and now when you're facing gigantor in your life you've got a different attitude. Amen. Because you say that God who helped me with the little things will help me with the big things. So Saul says to David, okay, go and the Lord be with you. Now, no way did Saul think David will pull this off. I've wondered as I've read this, what was Saul thinking sending this kid out there? My guess is, my best guess would be he figured by David going out and being sliced to pieces by the Philistines would inspire the guys to attack. You know, oh, he's chopping up that little kid. Let's go down. <laughs> so, I mean, that's the only thing I can figure because no way did he think David would pull this off. So he said, okay, you want to go? You can go. Verse 38 says, then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put on him a coat of armor and a bronze helmet, again with the bronze. The fat helmet thing on his head, you know. And then... And then David fastened his sword, the, the, the king's sword, over the tunic and, and tried to walk around with the, with the bronze head thing. And, and he can't do it. It doesn't fit. It doesn't work. He doesn't know how to work this stuff. He's never done it. Which brings me to point number three. Don't look for a set formula when you need a miracle. Look for God. Your path to a miracle won't always look like everybody else's. Don't get discouraged when you think, well, I, I can't do it because I'm, I'm not like Pastor Mark. I, I don't know how to do this. I'm, I, I'm, I'm not even like Pastor Nathan. I can't even pray because I don't have the accent going for me. I don't know. <laughs> I, don't know I don't know what to do. You know, it, doesn't, it doesn't look. I, I got the bronze helmet on and it's not. Who cares? Who cares if it doesn't look like everybody else? Who cares if you don't have everything going for you the way you think you should be going for you? Don't look for a formula. Oh, the formula thing drives me crazy. 
No matter how many times I've taught on faith, I've had people come up to me and they're trying to figure out the formula again. It's not about, I'm trying to teach you principles of faith. It's different than a formula. People want to know, okay, exactly how do I do this? What prayer do I pray? What verse do I quote? You know, do I stand this way when I pray? Or does it have to be this way, you know? Do you know how many goofball people, God bless their pee-picking little hearts, but they're just goofballs. <laughs> will travel thousands of miles to a location where someone claimed to have a miracle, and then they built a shrine around that miracle because they think, if I just get to that place, I'll find the formula. It's like there's kind of a, you know, a wormhole to heaven in that spot. And they, they come, and they want to be where someone else had a miracle. I, I want to be here, so then maybe I can get a miracle now. They're not seeking after God in the sense that, but they're not. They're looking for a formula. They're looking for that spot, that location, that relic, that holy thing, that magical thing. If I can just get the right formula, don't think like that. God isn't into formulas. We talked about this. You know how many times Jesus, every time he did a miracle, he did it in a different way. Sometimes he'd lay hands on someone, they'd be healed. Other times he'd just speak to them, and they were healed. One times he says, go away, and they got healed as they went away. Another time he made mud and stuck it on their eyeballs, and then he spit all over them. And I, he did all kinds of things. Even last week, we read about Paul and Silas and how they were in prison, and God sent an earthquake. Great story, wasn't it cool? But do you know, just before that, the same thing had happened to Peter. God didn't send an earthquake. When you read that account, it's very different. It says Peter is in jail and he's, in and he's sleeping and an angel comes. Now most of the, the Bible says that when angels walk among us, they don't look like angels. They look like us. You know, we always think they're going to be glowing and big wings. And in fact, the Bible says they so look like us that a lot of people have been nice to angels and didn't even know they were talking to an angel. That's why the Bible says you need to be nice to everybody. Because it might, might be an angel. I mean, that's kind of cool. You, know, you, you don't, you don't want to flip off an angel that cuts in front of you in traffic. I mean, that's, 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 that's a bad deal, you know what I'm saying? Because someday you get to heaven and go, I didn't know it was you! <laughs> okay? So be nice to everybody. So anyway, this angel comes to Peter, and he just looks like a regular guy. And says, hey, Peter, wake up. And Peter goes, what? He says, come on, we're getting out of here. And, and all of a sudden, the chains fall off of Peter's arms. And, and they start walking, and the gates just open up for them as they're going. And the guards are standing there. And they don't see him. In fact, the Bible says Peter thought he was dreaming. We're talking serious Jedi mind tricks going on here. I was like, these are not the droids you are looking for. You know, and they're walking right in front of them. They don't even see him. And, and Peter's going, oh, it must be a dream. And it says they came to the gate, and the gate just goes, the gate just goes, and, and they walk through, and it closes, and suddenly the guy disappears. Then he realizes, I guess, I'm, I guess I was an angel. I thought I was dreaming, and he got out. Now, that was cool. How come God didn't send the Jedi guy to, to Paul and Silas? Because if he did, we'd be looking for Jedi guys everywhere. Because we're always trying to find a formula. It's not about a formula. It's about connecting with an almighty God who cares about us. It may not look the same. So David says, man, I can't wear these things. And, and he takes them off. Verse 40, he says, then he took his staff in his hand and, and he chose five smooth stones from the stream. And he put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag. 
And with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. So this kid is going to battle with a sling and a bag full of rocks. Whoa. Well, meanwhile, the Philistine and the shield bearer, <laughs> carrying all this junk, is in front of him, kept coming closer to David. Now, at first, he probably thought, all right, finally sending a man. We're ready, because, like, you know, off in the distance, the guy starts coming forward. Okay, we're ready for battle. So he goes, and then he sees it's this little twit of a guy. And he looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy glowing with health and handsome. And he despised him. He gets really insulted. Are you kidding me? I am Goliath, Mr. Gigantor? And you said this punk kid? He is insulted. He says, am I a dog that you would come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. Well, David, <laughs> Mr. I have a slingshot and some rocks. And not that big of a guy. Serious cojones, man, I'm telling you. He looks at the Philistine and says, You come against me with a sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you've defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to strike you down. Then I'm going to cut off your head. <laughs> Good Lord. And then I'm going to give your carcasses of your army to the birds of the air and the wild animals to eat. And the whole world will know there's a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's. He will give all of you into our hands. Now I've got to assume the army at this point is really not that inspired. They're probably all thinking, oh, is he going to die? He's going to really die. It's going to be ugly. This is going to be bad. So this young kid so I'm not afraid. I'm going to kill you. This is how I'm going to kill you. I'm going to knock you down. I'm going to cut your head off. Then we're going to eat the whole bunch of you. Not, we won't eat it, but the birds will eat you. That would be a little gross. We <laughs> never know how hungry you are. Anyway, so verse 48, the music starts to build. He makes this bold proclamation. And then it says, the Philistine moved closer to attack him. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Time out. Time out. This is not supposed to go this way. Okay? I'm coming to you with great boldness, and I'm full of faith, and I listen to Pastor Mark, and I should be coming, and, and, and you're supposed to be running from me. But after all this, the Philistine starts running at him. Which brings me to point number four. Sometimes things get worse before they get better. <laughs> They do. Oh, Pastor, I did what you said. And things are even worse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it happens sometimes. Don't lose heart. Don't give up. Then David, the Bible says, runs quickly toward the battle line to meet him. So now these two are on a collision course. They're, they're insulting each other. They're telling each other how they're going to kill each other. And now they're running at each other. And everybody's going, oh, he's going to die, he's going to die. And he gets close. And then reaching, and you talk about committing. That's point number five. 
David totally committed. When you're running at the thing that's trying to kill you, that's commitment. He was totally committed at this point. He's got five rocks. Why has he got five? Because he doesn't know that the first one's going to do it. Why didn't he bring six? Because he probably figured by the time I get to five, I'm pretty much dead. <laughs> you know, you kind of calculate these things out. You know what I'm saying? I got five rocks, six one. Nah, nah, don't worry about it because I'm, I'm toast by that point. So this kid totally commits. Where do you get guts like this? Holy moly. So now they're running at each other. And then reaching into his bag and taking out a stone. He goes, running at him. And he lets it fly. The Bible says it struck the Philistine on the forehead. And this is what it says. The stone was going so fast and so hard, it sank into his forehead. Ow. Now, I would, I would think just bouncing off the forehead would be pretty painful. Sinking into the forehead is a very bad day. And it sinks into his forehead, and the Bible says the Philistine goes face down into the ground. Now, at this point, I still don't think all the guys with David are full of much faith. They're probably thinking, oh man, is he going to be mad now? <laughs> when that guy gets up, he's toast! The Bible says that David ran over. He jumped on top of David, or Goliath. He took out Goliath's own sword. I'm sure by now the, the armor bearer is in a state of shock. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe he handed it to him. And he, <laughs> here, man, don't throw any rocks, okay? And, and he takes the guy's sword and he jumps off his head. Now again, these guys are all watching that going, what's he doing now? He's got his sword. And the Bible says then David takes his head. <laughs> That's really gross, man. <laughs> so, I mean, he's holding the guy's head. Then finally, finally all the girly men over here get with the program and go, yeah! And they start charging the Philistines. And the Philistines all go, ah! And they start <laughs> running. And they catch up and they slice them into a million bits and just destroy this army. All because of a young guy. Verse 50 says, so David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. And without a sword in his hand, he struck him down. Killed him. Which brings me to point number six. David only did what he knew to do. But his trust isn't what he was doing. His trust was in God who would bless what he's doing. Pastor, how do I know I'm doing it exactly right? How do I know? I don't know. Look, this guy's running. He's chasing. Listen to me. There's a fine line between faith and stupid. <laughs> it's true. There's a fine line. I have crossed this line many times in my life. I, I thought, yes, I'm in faith. And then I found out I'm just stupid. Okay? And then other times I'm thinking, good Lord, am I stupid. And then all of a sudden, whoa, it must have been faith because God showed up. Okay? It's a fine line. How do I know? But you don't know. 
You get out, the good news is no one's trying to kill you when you're going through most of this stuff. And you learn and you grow and there's this fine line. Well, how do you know when we do this? Because there's always this risk of failure. And some of you are so afraid to fail, you'd risk nothing. You spend your entire life trying to play it safe and you live in this gray vacuum of blah. Man, don't live like that. Step out and say, how do I know I'll win? You don't. But the good news is this isn't about you. This is about God in your life. You may not do it like everybody else. You might be the most unlikely person in the world to step out and do it. Everything about you being involved in this is wrong. You might be dumb enough to run in the wrong direction. <laughs> but at the end of the day, you can try it because this isn't about you. This is about God in your life. All of this is about knowing him. It's not about you. Everything isn't about you. And the moon doesn't really follow you at night when you're driving your car. <laughs> so in summary, number one, be strong in your faith. Number two, build your faith every opportunity you get. Number three, don't look for a formula, look for God. Number four, sometimes things get worse before they get better, don't lose heart. Number five, at some point you need to just totally commit to trusting God. And number six, don't stress over what you don't know. Put into practice what you do know. Always remember, miracles are more dependent on God than they are on you. Let's pray. Or clap. <laughs> now let's pray. <laughs> Father, thank you. Thank you for your miracle power in our lives. Thank you, Lord, that even people like us can experience God, that you are wanting, willing, and able to move in our lives if we'll just get to a place of faith. Help us to learn, Lord, what that looks like. Help us to get to a heart place where we can start to really trust you and to see you do fabulous things in our life. All not just so that we can be benefited, but at the end of the day so that you can be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. The African will come. Oh. <laughs> I've got my sword. I'm coming after you. <laughs> I'm going to invite ushers if they would come as we prepare for communion this morning. And our worship team comes back on stage. But before we take communion, in a few moments as we will be sharing together communion. You'll hold in your hand a piece of bread that will represent the body of Christ. A cup with grape juice or wine in it represents the blood of Jesus and what that blood of Jesus did for us when, he, when Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood. But before we do that, let me challenge us a little bit more in our faith. We've been challenged here this morning by Pastor Mark and this message about what it, what's real faith all about. Faith, trust, believe. Who do you have faith in? Who do you trust in? Who do you believe in? You see, in a few moments, we're going to pray a prayer together. And at that opportunity of praying that prayer and inviting all of you to join with me in that prayer, I'm going to be in that prayer calling you to make a decision. Now, for some of you, it's going to be a decision of saving faith, salvation. For some of you, it may be 
a renewal faith, renewing your walk with God. For some, it may be a decision, and God, as I pray this simple prayer, and I'm recommitting a specific area in my life, a situation in my life, a difficulty, a, a sin that's been easily entangling me and causing me to be tripped up over the months now. For some, you may be just asking simply, God, I want more aggressive faith. I want to be like David. I want to know when the enemy comes that I will stand strong and have that aggressive faith. Faith, real faith for a real miracle. Faith to see my life changed and lives of people around about me as well. We're going to join together in that prayer. Join our faith, all of us praying it together and joining our faith together. And for some, as I said, it'll be an opportunity for you to begin your walk with God. Begin that faith walk with God. It'll be a prayer of saving faith. Faith in the fact that Jesus is who he said he was. Faith that he is able to forgive you of your sins. That he's able to do that. That he's able to forgive you of your sins and set you free today. So basically, calling you to make a decision this morning. A decision this morning. So would you bow your heads with me? Invite you to repeat this simple prayer after me. And again, it's a simple prayer. But it's a prayer of faith. An opportunity for you. If you're praying it for the first time and, and you're coming to God for the first time and you're sensing in your heart the Holy Spirit is bringing conviction on you and you're realizing that you've been trying to find God in every way instead of at the cross. And that simple gift of grace that you can receive this morning and start that walk this morning. Very simple prayer. But join in with me as we pray this together. Would you say this? Dear Lord Jesus, something in my heart tells me I need you. I now confess my sin and repent of my sin. And by faith, ask you to come into my life as my Savior and as my Lord. Amen.